0: Today, God has put it on my heart and began to speak to me while we were in Haiti uh, of taking this in a little different direction, some of the scriptures that I've been experiencing lately, and uh, I hope that this is is meaningful to you. I want to interrupt myself just real quickly and welcome uh, a special friend to, to me. Uh, Dr. Charles Solomon is here with us today uh, from Pigeon Forge with his family. Uh, many of you may or may not. Uh, be familiar with him. He's written several, several books, which are translated in several, several languages, and has been an influence to an entire generation of men and women, and certainly has been in my life a mentor and a a father to me. So thank you for coming to worship with us. It's good to see you. You are always, always welcome in this place, and I hope you get an opportunity to meet these folks. They are, um, oh my goodness, I'll just stop right there, but... um, I want to read for you a couple of scriptures, and uh, you just, just let's just read these together. And, and, and I'm nervous because he's here. and I'm just going to tell you, I need to be crucified right now because you're here. And I'm, it's like having your your professor or your mom and dad at your recital or something. You know, you just kind of get like get like that. So I'm going to I'm going to try not to even look at you or think about that. I'm just going to read out of Colossians chapter two. This is a powerful scripture. Um, Colossians chapter 2, in verse 12, the Bible says, "Having." it's a continuation of a sentence that's already begun. It says, having been buried with him in baptism. We're going to have baptism in just a moment, uh, as well as communion, as Joe mentioned. uh, Being buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses. And here's how he did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to the cross. Now let's go back uh, to Romans chapter 6. Verse 6, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1. Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Meganoito, may it never, by no means, God forbid that that's the way we would approach this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm excited about this message because it teaches us how to actually change. This is the gospel. Repentance is the first step towards change. And I think most of us get that. At some time in your life, you were in a vacation Bible school or a youth group meeting at a retreat or a camp or in a church service or maybe just in your parents' bedroom, and they walked you through an understanding of how it is that we become Christians, how we come to Jesus. And probably, hey, Chelsea, welcome back from Haiti. One of our missionaries is here. If I see you, I'll just give you a shout-out. We get repentance. We understand that, but we have to realize that it's, that's the step in in this process, that because of Christ's work at the cross, are you ready? I don't know. We're dead to sin. Now, when I say that, and I say, I can say that on biblical authority because I just read it to you, and I can read it to you all over the place throughout the Bible. And what you will think is, Dan, I get that, and I understand that's what the Bible says, but my experience is saying something different. And usually we're going to believe what we're experiencing. Here's the message today. Change happens when we reckon ourselves dead to sin day by day moment by moment. We have to apply the identification that we have in Christ to Christ at that specific moment of temptation. I believe today can be a turning point. I believe that what you're going to understand from Scripture today could set you free from something that has held you in bondage for years and years, even, especially, those of us who are already followers of Christ. From this text we just read in Romans, we learned that it's God's goal to set us free from sin. But how does that happen? How does that happen? Verse 8 says, now if we have died, if at one point in our life we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Forgiveness of sin, and I know this is going to sound so radical to some of your ears, forgiveness of sin is just the beginning of, of our experience with Christ. That's what, that's what initiates our, our new life with Him. But that's not all of it. Bless you. The problem is that so many people just stay right there. They just, well, I'm forgiven, and, and I'm in Christ, and we, we begin well, uh, and we think that's the stopping place. That's just the beginning. A lot of people stay there, and they, don't, they, they never move on. Past that, he rose to do. Jesus died on the cross, what today is all about, and he arose to do. I don't know if you're ready for this, more than just forgive you. He rose to live his life through you. That's the gospel. When verse 8 says, If we've died with Christ, we'll also live with him. I think a lot of us maybe think about that uh, at funerals and in other moments. But Paul's not talking just simply about going to heaven. He's talking primarily about your life here and now. It means that our life is plugged into his life. And we have life because he lives. Because he lives. In fact... God never made provision for you to live the Christian life. That's a big statement. God never, he never made a way so that uh, now I know how to live the Christian life. And that's why some of you are so miserable. And that's why you're failing at it so terribly. You know, and you think, well, no wonder. If God didn't provide for a way for me to do that, then that kind of explains why I'm not so good at this. Christianity is not you being Christian, you behaving like a Christian, you talking like a Christian, you engaging in all of the activities and think, I'm I'm there. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is marked by Christ living in you. That's the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20 says, I have died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Yet I live, but not I It's Christ who lives in me. That's the gospel. That's the key. Romans 6, 8 says, Now, if we have died, and that little word, if, could be translated since. So, since we've died with Christ, we have died in him, we believe we'll also live with him. That's the key, and that's what it means to be a Christian. I want to talk about that a little more in just a few minutes and explain how that works out for us. We feel like it was appropriate at this moment. We want to pause with that information. And what we're going to do is take communion together. We have the elements prepared. It's going to be a little different experience for some of you than maybe the traditional way that you've done this. But here's what we'd like to do and what we've designed is for you to come in just a moment at any Uh, when you feel comfortable, when you feel ready, if you just come and take the elements, if you take the bread and just dip it, and then uh, hold your hand under that, and you can go to the windows, you can come to these steps, you can go back to your seat, anywhere in this room. We'll ask you to stay in the room, uh, but anywhere you want to go, and just have a personal worship experience with the Lord through communion. And when everybody who would like to do that has had an opportunity to, we're going to uh, begin to move in in a new direction and continue this message. We pray this will be a meaningful time for you uh, as you share this with your family or your friends or simply just alone in Christ uh, that you take communion. Let me pray for us. And as I do, uh, please just step out. And the elements are provided for you. We also have it in the balcony. Father, we want to thank you for today, and we thank you for the powerful message that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And I know already in some of our ears, we think, I'm just not sure how to work that out. Father, I pray you would speak to us as we continue. And now, Lord, we want to worship you in this beautiful uh, picture that this meaningful, uh, symbolic act of worship We thank you for your blood that was spilled on the cross. We thank you for your body that was broken and the fact that you were crucified so that we would never have to be. That you have paid the penalty and we're no longer under the condemnation of sin. And I pray that as we take communion, you would meditate on this scripture, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. Amen. Let's come forward whenever you're ready. that's changing so fast. Everything happens so quickly. For example, from 1960 to 1990, all the information that was available in the world had doubled. Then that number doubled in the next five years. And the amount of information is continuing to grow at a staggering pace. The CEO of Google recently said that by the end of 2012, the amount of knowledge would double every two days. Isn't that unbelievable? But here's the bad news everything is changing, but Christians aren't changing. And I can give you a bunch of statistics to reinforce that. Uh, But I don't like to do statistics, and I don't know if they make a big impact, but it's discouraging. Most statistics indicate that Christians' lifestyle at the end of the day are really no different than non-Christians. That's disturbing. Why is that? They're they're living for the the same reasons that we've always lived for. They have the same level of happiness. They struggle with the same things as non-Christians and they're just about as victorious as non-Christians. So what's the difference? In a survey, people were asked to name something that Christians do instead of changing. Well, why don't they change? What is it that does happen? And here are the top four responses to that. Four most popular answers. First, we go through rituals. We go to church. We sing songs. We uh, do our routines, and we feel some kind of a religious influence in our lives, but there's no impact. The next answer was debate, and most, of Christ, most Christians never debate non-Christians. We just debate each other. <laughs> we just debate other Christians. Well, you believe it this way, and I see it that way, and, and we, we talk about that, and, you know, it's really most of the time, most of the time it's a colossal waste of time really doesn't have any fruit. It's just a massive substitute for sanctification, this process that God wants us to, to, to grow, because God wants you to be sanctified. He doesn't care about your debating skills. He doesn't care uh, how cleverly you can argue your, your position. Another thing people said Christians do instead of real change is that they slip into sentimentality. Some of you, if you were asked to share a testimony, you would think for a moment, then you'd go back 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and go, I got one, I got one. It's 30 years old. I had to find it and dust it off. But here's here's my story of something really uh, meaningful that happened to me. And we just become sentimental. Instead of changing, we do that. And the fourth answer that, you know, what Christians do instead of real change is they just give up. Sell it, they just bail on everything and just live sinful lives. Jesus didn't die just for your forgiveness, He arose again to give you transformation. The gospel not only transforms your destiny. And I come from a heritage. I come from a family where the idea is, I mean, everybody is a Christian. Every Riley, I think, is a Christian. I mean, you, you know, every funeral or wedding you go to, well, we're all, we're all, we'll see him again. You know, and I think, well, will we see him again? Really? Because I, I never saw an indication of that. I can't judge anybody else. But it's a stretch for me to think because we live such sinful lives. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the gospel is not just to transform your destiny, not just that you're going to end up in heaven one day with Christ, and it doesn't matter what happens to you between now and then. Christianity, the gospel, really transforms your character, who we are. When you turned from your sin and you embraced Jesus by faith, you were given a brand new identity in Christ, and every person here who claims to be a Christian, that is, if you're, you know, you're genuinely saved, you know, a baptized, follower, blood-bought, you know, you're, you're with Jesus, then you've got a new identity. And every time you face temptation, we can remember who we are and follow Christ. Because really, it's His reputation that's on the line. Forgiveness isn't just about your personal pleasure for 45 seconds or, you know, God, I know that's going to be taken care of. It's about your master. It's about who you belong to. It's about his reputation. It's about his desire to transform you from the inside out. Forgiveness is the beginning of life in Christ. The power of sin has been and is broken once and for all at the cross. You can believe that. And I hope that at this point that in each one of us, there's like a little light beginning to shine. There's something beginning to emerge. And you think, wow, even though my experience doesn't seem like that's true, there's a part of me in my spirit that senses it is that it is. You know, Paul uses sin and death synonymously. He just goes back and forth. In verse 9 and 10, he says, we, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And I appreciate the fact that Paul didn't just rely on the, the, the Greek text, you know, that we would get the, the, the verb tense there. He said, let me just spell it out for you, once and for all. It's done. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death. Romans 5:12 says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin and death just always go together. They're in sync, they're in rhythm together. Genesis 2:17 God said in the day that you eat this forbidden fruit you shall die. They're linked together. Revelation 20, 14 says, In the end, death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. uh, Exodus 18, 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. It's the thread that runs all throughout Scripture. And according to Scripture, there was no death before sin. Death entered the world because of sin. And when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, the power of sin and the power of death Broken. Some of you might be thinking, well, "It doesn't feel like the power of sin has been broken in my life." I still struggle with bitterness and with anger and with fear and with lust. I want you to imagine this: just think that you're out in a, in a, in a meadow somewhere in a wooded area, uh, and, and there's this beautiful, huge oak tree, and it was planted maybe thirty or forty years ago. And just imagine that around this big, strong oak tree, a vine has grown up around the trunk and and has become entangled in its branches. And this vine is everywhere. That represents sin. And when you come to Christ, it's like God the Father took an axe and he just chopped the base of that vine apart. It's dead. It can't control you like it used to. But you will spend the rest of your life ripping and pulling those vines out of the tree. And some of you might be thinking, I, I seem to always have those vines. It reminds me of when Jesus called Lazarus forth from the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. But what does the Bible say? That he was still wrapped in his grave clothes. And Jesus said, turn him loose. Get that dead stuff off him. You see, he's alive. He's alive. He's more alive than he's ever been, but he's still wrapped in those grave cloths. So what sanctification is, what life is, is God's just peeling off those grave clothes. He's, he's just tearing those vines down from around the trunk and, and off the branches. Because sin cannot dominate us. It cannot control you anymore. It cannot condemn you anymore. That is the power of the cross. What you need to do, what I need to do, is just to embrace our new identity. And you have to exercise your faith in that reality. You're a Christian. You can live like it. Christ is in you. You don't have to sin anymore you ever just shrugged your shoulders and thought, well, I've been doing this ever since I was a boy. Ever since I was a young woman, I've struggled with this, and what am I going to do? Just, that's the way I am. That's what I, you know, I got. you don't have to do that anymore. I hope that just set you free. You don't have to sin anymore. Verse 10 says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. The Bible says that you're either alive to Satan and you're dead to God, or you're alive to God and you're dead to Satan. Dead. And we we live that out as we make choices moment by moment, day after day. Verse 12 says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies anymore. Don't let sin... Make you obey its passions and its lust and its impulses. Because of Christ, it's like the power of sin has been unplugged. Don't plug it back in. It's present, but it's not in charge. You don't have to let it rule over you anymore. We've got to learn to trash talk temptation a little bit. Now, I've been watching the final four since we got back. I didn't do a bracket this year because we were in Haiti and just kind of got really distracted. But I'm I'm trying to watch that. And you ever hear see how people talk? You ever do you watch like a Louisville, Kentucky game, or you watch you know you watch these games and you you see all the fans and they're talking. That's the way you've got to act towards sin. I mean, instead of going along with it, you got to say, "Get away from me! I don't need to sin. I don't have to do this. I'm not who I am anymore. I'm not I'm not who I was. I don't have to sin." Just, even if you just whisper that inside your heart, you just think, wow, that feels kind of good. I feel like something else is in control. You're not being led around as a slave to sin anymore. Now, sometimes you're going to fail. And when you do, the, enemy are gonna, the enemy's going to say things like, well, you haven't changed. You're the same as you always were, as you always will be. And you just feel that condemnation, don't you? Just feel that gloom. The enemy is an accuser, and he will lie, and he knows if you ever find out this truth that you've been set free, then his influence and his power in your life is done. There was a sin in my life that I felt such condemnation for. And I carried it around for years, and I knew I was a Christian. I knew I'd been forgiven of that. But at moments, sometimes before I would get up to speak, sometimes when I was praying or reading Scripture, during during a moment like that, he would just whisper, hey, just throw that back up. And I'd feel such shame and such condemnation. And there I go again asking for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, that was years ago. God, it's ever before me. Such regret. And he could use the memory of a sin as a power in your life. And I began to learn this principle, and I thought, God, I'm I'm dead to that. That that, that condemnation, that memory, you've been set free. I used to tell a story uh, when I was a, a youth minister about a road uh, and uh, with a hole in the road, and it, and it goes like this: You know, I walk along for a while, I go for a walk, and I fall into this hole. It's not my fault. I didn't see the hole. And I, I just I slipped and I fell, and, and, and there it is. It takes me a long time to get out of that hole, but I do. So day two, I walk uh, down the same road, and I fall into the same hole again. And it takes me a long time to get out again. Why did I do that? Why did I walk down the same road? Why did I fall into that same hole? Day three, I went for a walk down the same street, I fell in the same hole again. This time I got out a little more quickly because I realized it was my fault. It was my fault. Day four, I went for a walk down the same street. I saw the hole, (laughs) and this time I walked around it. Day five, I go for a walk down a different street. (laughs) Under certain conditions, we're going to fall in holes. It comes down to a fundamental element of choosing to change and being able to admit to the fact that there's there's a hole in the road. There's always going to be holes in the road. You've got to choose to live for God day by day, moment by moment. Now, the last thing that that, that I want you to get is, I just want to talk about how we do this, this, this process, this victory over sin. You might be thinking, well, how do I actually choose not to sin? It just seems to be so strong in my life sometimes. Sometimes I just can't avoid the hole. You know, it's just right there. She makes me so mad. He just really does this. Or you don't know my boss. You don't know. I understand all that. There are holes. There are those moments in life. And sometimes you just got to go down that street, right? But we have to realize victory over sin comes by living moment by moment. Romans uh, six eleven. So that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, some translations, old translation, the way I first learned it was reckon yourselves dead to sin. I like it because it sounds kind of southern. Reckon's part of my vocabulary. I reckon that I'm dead to sin. You know, um, And this is actually the first imperative you ever find in the book of Romans. Paul writes this beautiful, powerful letter, uh, maybe the most powerful letter in the New Testament, and he says, I reckon myself dead to sin, and it's written in strong language. First five and a half chapters are concerned with knowledge about sin and God, Jesus, the cross, and God's love, but here he takes a turn, and he gives this first practical imperative command, reckon. And it implies a decision that's based on a rock-solid reality. The word consider uh, in, in, in Greek has this powerful uh, meaning. In Romans 6, 11, it means to press your mind down on something, to focus on, on a particular event or moment or reality. Paul tells us, reckon yourselves dead to sin, consider ourselves, calculate yourself dead to sin. You may struggle with overeating, overindulging, overventing your frustrations, uh, withholding love, substance abuse, spousal abuse, fear of the future, regret over the past. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But you have to reckon yourselves dead to that. Because of Christ's work on the cross, because of what today is about, I can say, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to sin. Now, that's not the way most of us live it out, is it? Because most of us were told at some point in our history, well, here's what you got to do. When you come to Jesus, you got to get your cross. And you got to take that cross. And you just got to carry it around with you. Well, I'm just going to, I'm carrying my cross. I got my cross. I'm a Christian now. I love being a Christian because I get to carry this cross with me everywhere I go. And that's what we do, isn't it? Are you a Christian? Well, yeah. Look at this. You see how heavy this thing is? And I carry it around with me. Do you take it everywhere? Yeah, I take it everywhere I go. It's my cross. And that's what we think is the gospel, is I'm just going to carry this, this cross around with me. But you know what Paul is telling us here? Something that's beautiful and something that's powerful and something that's liberating. He's saying, what is that sin that bothers you most? What is that memory, you know, that, that really haunts you? He says, you take that and we nail it. Watch this. Follow. Me. Illustrates, those of you who are guests, illustrations never work well for me. This is always a risk. But we take that, and then we say, well, my sins are nailed to the cross, and I've got this other sin, you know, and I've got this, you know, this thing that's going on with me, and I always try to kind of hide that from the Holy Spirit, and I always put it over to the side somewhere. And... Uh, and, you know, and I'm just going to nail that to the cross. And you begin to sense this, this feeling, of, this sense of victory. And what God is teaching me and what I've been teaching on, on Wednesday nights is that a lot of that is generated and, and really finds its rest, this hidden place uh, where it's not just, we say, sin, but itself. You know, he says, I want to crucify yourself. You think, but some of myself looks pretty good. Yeah, but it's still you. You get it? It's still flesh. It's still unredeemed. He says, I want to crucify you. Well, I thought you just wanted to crucify a couple of sins and kind of get me cleaned up and shaped up a little bit. He goes, yeah, that's what a lot of people think. No, what I want to do, is I want you to be crucified with Christ so that you've died, but he lives in me now. That. Friends, is the gospel. So that is what God does in my life. And what He's doing in my life is that He has crucified me with Christ. And so now you're dead to sin. Your good stuff, your bad stuff, your neutral stuff, it all comes to the cross. You get it? That's the victory. That's the victory over sin. We consider ourselves dead. Now, when you understood the gospel that Christ died for you and rose again, you have to repent of your sin and you believe and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You go, got it. I got that when I was 10 years old. 15 years old, I understood that. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to believe in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth. Now, I want to give you an experiment to do this week, okay? Because I know a lot of you believe it in your heart. And I say, I came from a family. They believed it in their heart, never confessed it with their mouth. Let's do this together, okay, church family? Or if you're a guest, you're headed back to Chicago or North Carolina, wherever you're from, Kentucky. We love Kentuckians. Um, I want you to do this. Just four powerful words. I'm dead to that. Colossians 2, 6 says, As you received the Lord, walk in him. Walk in him. Now, how did you receive the Lord? You believed in your heart, and you confessed it with your mouth. And as you received the Lord, then you walked in him. So when you're tempted, you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Christ has freed you from that sin. So when you face a temptation, recognize there's another hole in the road. I'm not going to step into that hole. I'm in a difficult position. I feel inclined to say something, do something wrong, something stupid, something, you know, inappropriate. And I'm just going to say these words out loud. I'm dead to that. You think, are you just being, are you talking like a preacher or do you really mean for us to do this? I really mean for you to do this. Okay. You think, well, my kids are going to hear me. I know. I would love for one of your children, one of your teenagers to come back and say, my dad was out in the shop and I think he got really mad at something he was working on and all of a sudden it got quiet and my dad said, I'm dead to that. And then he went on about his work. Your children need to see you living victoriously in Christ. And we do that by dying. See, it's not carrying the cross around, it's getting on it. It's being crucified with him. I'm dead to that. Now, don't whisper it like nobody will hear you. Say it out loud. I hope people, you're, I hope when they walk by your cubicle and they go, I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, nothing. I wasn't talking to you. What did you say? I said, I'm dead to that. <laughs> A customer on the phone just really, and so I just said, I'm dead to that and, uh, and just hung up. Now, <laughs> now, you don't say these words to another person. You get in an argument with your husband, don't you put your finger in him and say, I'm dead to you. <laughs> I'm just, mm, mm, I'm dead again. I'm, I'm just dying all over. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that. You're trying to win a battle, not start one, okay? And you might be thinking, really? I'm just going to say that and everything's going to be okay. I'm dead to that. Yeah, well... You think it's going to make a difference in my life? I mean, really, Dan? Is this another one of those things that you always want us to do stuff? You think that's going to be the big breakthrough in my personal sanctification? I tell you what, folks, there is something powerful in confessing your faith. I'm dead to that. I have a choice in this, and I'm standing on the Word of God, and I don't have to sin anymore. I'm dead to that. I know you're doubtful. (laughs) I know you're thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. I'm going to ask you to try it this week. And if it works for you this week, I'm going to ask you to try it for the entire month of April. Day one is today. I'm dead to that. You get to that point of temptation, that place of vulnerability, that old sin, that old memory that haunts you, I'm dead to that. And move forward, move forward. I'm so excited. Uh, You know, I was reading this story about how the bridge, I I, I went to Niagara Falls several years ago and I looked at it I thought, how in the world would you ever get a bridge across this thing, you know? And I found out how they did it. The builders flew a kite across the gorge with a rope, uh, with a string, you know, with a kite string and then a rope attached to that. And they got that across and then they put a heavier cord on the end of the rope and they pulled the cord across and then they attached this massive cable to a, to a chain and they pulled the chain across and then they put a bigger cable onto the end of the chain and they just kept doing it and they built an entire bridge just by pulling a string and then this cord, then the cable, then a chain, then a big cable. And that's what we do. You may be thinking, I'm so weak. Dan, I'm so weak in the face of temptation. I just just say, I'm dead to that. I don't think it's going to change everything. And I understand. I understand that. You've got to pull a string across the chasm. Start with a string. Use the string to pull a rope across, and then the rope to pull a cord across, and then the cord to pull a chain across, and then the chain to pull the cable across, and build a life of victory based on the fact that you have a new identity in Christ. I'm not that guy anymore. He died years ago. He's crucified. You're a new person. You don't have to sin anymore. Because in Christ, you're dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Nail it to the cross. Conduct your life on the basis of that reality and not just your previous experiences. I know when you walk out of here in a little while, you're going to think, well, it just feels like a string it feels like that, it's just that fragile. I understand. Just keep pulling it. Keep leaning into that, moment by moment. And watch what God does. That's called sanctification. That's the process. And you can build a life of victory just on the fact that God said, I've set you free. You're going to love it. You are absolutely going to love it. Now, there's nothing much that pictures that any more beautifully than the act of baptism. If you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, it ought to be this this first step of obedience. And we have a couple of folks today who who are willing to take that step. They have received Christ, and we just want to share with you their stories in this moment. As they follow through symbolically in this, this beautiful picture of what we've just talked about and what's happening with us in reality, We are buried in Christ in his death and we're raised to walk in a new life. That's the gospel.